Good morning, everybody. It's amazing the miracle that happens. See? Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My time will not be out, people. Come on. Good morning, everybody. I hope you are all well. It's so good to see everybody. Um, we are on an exciting journey through the book of Acts. Don't you find it exciting? Just having a look into the early church. Uh, before I launch into that, I was uh, commissioned to just give you some context to my situation, appearing here alone today. So last week, our life group had a great time away. We went to Wortelgaard. Um, and we, yeah, God blessed us. It's just an amazing time of fellowship, and so that's why we weren't here. And this morning, Chantal says, please send my apologies because she's at hockey practice with, with Ashley. <laughs> so that was uh, one of those things. But, but yeah, here we are this morning looking at the book of Acts, and I think it's a really exciting time. For us as a young church, Steve says we can't call ourselves a church plant anymore, but we are a young church. And so to look back to a time when the church was young is really, really exciting for us. And so as Wellspring, I, I listened to Earl's uh, preach yesterday, and he said, this is the time, if we're going to shape, if we're going to craft the way in which we're going to do this church, it's going to be now. And so Charlene mentioned those four points. And so this is a very formative time for us as a community. We don't necessarily want to reinvent a whole new wheel. Because I don't think that's what God calls us to do. But I also don't think that we just want to do what, what's been done. right? Um, and I'll tell you why I say that. So I had a... A Bible college lecturer when Chantal was the full-time student, I was the part-time student at Bible college, and we had a lecturer, and he taught us New Testament, and when he came to the book of Acts, he said something very interesting, something that's still kind of, you know, when you kind of think and you're just kind of mulling something over, processing, it's still there. And I'm going to introduce it to you because maybe that's a question we can continue to ask ourselves. He asked, when we look at the church in the book of Acts, is this a church in its infancy which still needs to mature through time? Or is this a church that is the purest expression of church and we need to aim to get there. Do you see the difference? Ah, thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> but but yeah, that's an interesting question, don't you think? You just spend some time thinking about that because as I thought about the passage that Earl preached on, he's, oh yeah, I'm looking at uh, Oh, he's, he's not here. Okay. Um, but, but okay, as, as Earl Preach that very famous portion in Acts 2, verse 42, and the church did what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And so we reflect on Wildspring, as Charlene challenged us. 
How are we doing in those areas? How are we being this community that is so committed to the, the apostles' teaching? We are very privileged. We have the full revealed world, uh, word of God. And so, as you know, when in this, in this portion that I'm going to preach on this morning, Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Um, I'd like to encourage us to bring our Bibles so that we actually do journey through the Scriptures together. And if you don't, I'm sure you will have very loving neighbors. Um, because loving your neighbors is also a very important theme in, in the expression of this early church. So let us read that. And, and this morning, while you're finding Acts chapter 3, I've decided to entitle this message, um, Stay True to the Story, the Great Story of God. Stay true to the great story of God. And that, I will unpack that as we, as we make our way through this passage. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1 says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. We was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, and we will remember this from Sunday school, silver or gold I do not have, but, I do, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, do you remember that chorus in Sunday school? Yes. Especially when you say walking and jumping and praising God. <laughs> that line kind of sticks. But if we look at this lame beggar, and I think whenever I share, I, I, I think it's so important for us to understand and, and be aware of What's happening at the time of this portion of scripture, right? We need to understand the context of the day, and we also need to understand our context today. And so as we look at this lame beggar, we see in the text that for most of his life, since he was born lame, so every day of his life, people used to pick him up when he was old enough, I hope, they would pick him up and go and put him down at the temple gates and there he would stay day in and day out. And so as we look at this lame beggar, we think that how did this man feel about himself living in the context of the Roman Empire where your worth was measured by how much you contributed to the empire? And what could he contribute? Not much. He didn't have his faculties to work and to pay the taxes 
and every day he had to he was he was reliant on people imagine that and so for most of his life here he sat after so long after the years there must have been the sense of absolute hopelessness that started to creep in you know the the economy of empire completely disregards anyone who doesn't contribute to the machine pharaoh so dehumanized the slaves if we'll remember from exodus that he came to the point where he said kill all the babies all the male babies just kill them because because what were these these were not human beings these were just production units and when the production units started to um, kind of present a threat just get rid of them and so that's pharaoh's economy but what we see in the book of acts we see something amazing and beautiful and counter cultural and subversive we see god's economy and in god's economy the kingdom of god the reign of god the weak is seen the marginalized are brought into the center and everyone is considered valuable and of great worth because you have been made in the image of god and you have a sense of dignity and worth this is god's economy so i was telling steve i came across this bible study about the israelites trekking through the wilderness right uh, leaving egypt and they were trekking through the wilderness and what used to happen is as they're going through the wilderness you can imagine that it's quite a hot dusty like i mean you got tired you people got thirsty and so the strong were walking in front naturally and what happened was the weak and the elderly and the infirm the the, the the ill were straggling behind and so you got the amalekites and the amalekites had this strategy they used to come and ambush and attack from behind and so what would happen they would attack those that are most vulnerable those that are elderly those that are sick and so what did god say to his people he says wait a minute wait a minute rearrange yourself the tribe of dan you move to the back and you you kind of show up those who are weak and who are marginalized and so the israelites the people of god moved in a way so that those who were most vulnerable were centered and protected and cared for do you see how different that is to pharaoh's economy very different to the economy of empire and so today being sunday the day that is our day of rest i'm reminded of the theologian walter brueggemann who says sabbath to rest to take a day of rest is the refusal to let to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being do you get that the the observance of a sabbath a day of rest a day of disconnection from our usual activity out in the world day of monday to saturday is the refusal to let to let one's life be defined by production and consumption and the endless pursuit of private well-being 
I want us to see something this morning that I feel is so very important. God has a story that is drawing us into. We are being drawn into the story of God. We do not have our own stories. I as Brandon and Chantal and our family, the Weber family, we do not have our own Weber family story and God is drawn into our story and we say, wow, God, thank you for making our story so good. This is not what God has called us to. God has a story and we are drawn into the story of God. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today? So, before we get there, I'd like to focus on, we've had a look at the lame beggar who sits there day in and day out, having been apportioned almost no worth by the system, and, and, and relegated to, to, to just holding his hand out and begging day in and day out. And now we see the apostles coming. And Peter and John, as the portion of scripture says, they come to the temple as is their, their habit, right, of joining in prayer. And what happens is, they hear the cry, they stop, they see, and they respond. And then they actually reach out and take him by his hand and lift him up. People, there's something there. There's something there in this, in the way that they engage with him. Does it remind you of something? What does it remind you of? Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I know I call on Steve. Call on Steve. <laughs> Steve. Um, doesn't it remind you of Jesus? Doesn't it remind you of Jesus walking through the crowd and someone touches him and he stops and he, and he stops everyone and he says, who touched me? And that woman who was ignored and was hopeless because she'd seen doctor after doctor and people had declared her unclean and so no one, and she couldn't go and pray in the temple courts because she was unclean. Jesus takes the time and he sees her. And he says, your faith has healed you. There's something in the way that Jesus does this. And now we look at Peter and John and they do the same thing. And so we see here now main, uh, uh, in our portion, a man lame from birth was being carried to the temple. La, la, la. Then verse 3 says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Now look at verse 4. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Have you ever interacted with someone who has lost hope? Someone who doesn't even believe that there's anything better for them in this life than their current lot that they are experiencing. They've given up hope. Have you ever engaged with someone like that? Do they look at you? So something happens at Hope Africa Collective. That I'm amazed that it happens like this all the time, all the time. Our students come in, unemployed young people, they come in and I appear and I look very different to the people in Philippi, right? And I come in there and I say, hi everyone, good morning. 
And like everyone just does this. And no one responds. And if I wasn't, <laughs> if I wasn't secure in what I, who I am, then I would have felt so, I would have felt like these, these people are insulting me, they're not even looking at me. But you must understand the context, right? And so I come in and I'm all like, guys, I want to welcome you into our space. And everyone's looking at me. I don't know if it's aggression or if it's like, but they're just looking down. They're not even acknowledging me. They don't even want to greet me. But then they go through three weeks of what we call life direction. And in life direction, we tell them that you are someone special made in the image of God and God loves you and God cares for you and you, you are someone that God cares for. And through three weeks of, of reminding them of this kind of thing, of telling them you need to forgive those who have hurt you, you need to let go so that you can find something else, you need to find who you are. After three weeks, I walk into the courtyard and people greet me. And people look at me and say, Hi, Brandon, how are you today? There's something that happens when we stop and look. And it doesn't just, Peter doesn't just stop and look. He reaches out and he touches him. He gets personally involved in this man's plight. And he touches him and he helps him up. And he says, and the, and the word of God says, in that act, strength, his ankles, his legs are strengthened. And he stands up. And the miracle is that he starts to walk and then leaping and jumping and praising God. And so, and so here's something that is amazing. Remember when I said that Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit was no longer just in the temple, when the Ark of the Covenant God's presence wasn't only there, but now God's presence was where? In every single believer. God's presence now resides in us. And so Pentecost was about harvest. And so when Peter spoke, we see a great harvest being brought in. Pentecost is about generosity. In that verse, in, verse, um, in, in the portion of last week, it says, and they... Yeah, verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Remember they sold? They sold their possessions so that everyone had enough? Wow. Wow. What does it mean for us as well, Spring? I'm challenged when I read that. Because we just come through a difficult time. People lost jobs. People were struggling through a time. What did I do? But you know, one of the beautiful expressions of this kind of thing here is that recently we were we were so blessed. My life group hears this all the time. Um, Chantal was down and the church gathered. And I saw a beautiful expression night after night of people coming and checking in on Chantal bringing us a meal, saying, are you guys okay? It was an absolutely beautiful expression of being in community. I'm so glad, my family's also glad I didn't have to cook. <laughs> um, 
But we were blessed, right? And we were blessed by you. And so, and then we see the man um, healed. Silver and gold have I, have I not, but such as I have, I give unto you. Abundant generosity. Whatever I have, I share with you. I give to you. Who in our community is feeling alone and isolated and vulnerable? Do we know? We need to rearrange ourselves so that we center those who are feeling in this way. And so, what I see here is that the apostles were, they, they, they were with Jesus. They, there was a being with Jesus. There was a being with Jesus for those three years. And while they were there with Jesus, what happened was a transformation took place. A transformation of their perspective. A transformation of their worldview. How they saw God. How they saw themselves. How they saw others and how they saw their context. Do you get that? There was a transformation that happened. I mean, I always, like when you read Acts and you see uh, Peter stood up. This was the same Peter. Remember the same Peter who said to Jesus, when Jesus said, uh, the Son of Man needs to go up to Jerusalem and be crucified. He was the one who said, no, this will never be. And Jesus had to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan. The same Peter who denied Jesus Christ three times, that same Peter now stands up boldly and proclaims the word of God. If we read in um, 1 Peter, which we'll read later, but, but firstly 2 Corinthians 5, let's go to the Apostle Paul and we'll see what he says about our, our perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I think it's amazing what happens in our lives as believers when we, in verse 14, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Do you see how drawing closer to the person of Jesus Christ, having the love of God transform our hearts and our minds, starts to change the way that we see, that we see ourselves. Who are we? What is our identity? When we speak about identity, that passage in in First Peter chapter two, if you could turn there, First Peter chapter two, verse nine to twelve. First Peter chapter two, verse nine says, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation." God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. 
Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I think the important thing there is to say that our identity, but you are chosen people, a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. I think once we start to see ourselves differently, we start to see the world differently. We start to see the people that we engage with at work differently. We start to see our community differently. And then we see the people's response in this, in this explosive kind of miracle. We see the people now look to Peter and John and they almost are in awe of them. And what do they do? They redirect the people's attention and they say, you look at us as if we've done this. Actually, it is God by his power who have done this. The people, uh, Peter and John understand who they are. They don't take the glory for themselves. It's not me. It's not by my clever thoughts or my power. It is by the power of God, the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And if we look again in chapter 4, just to round out this whole experience, we see that the number saved grew to almost 5,000. Remember first when Peter preached, 3,000 came to faith. In chapter 4 it says, because of this experience, the number grew to 5,000. But then something very important happens. From verse 11 down to verse, all the way down, Peter uses this opportunity to share the gospel of, of the kingdom of God. And if you read that portion, what does Peter do? Does he say that Jesus died for you and he's the Messiah and now you must follow him? He says that, but he doesn't start there. He starts way back in the Old Testament. Read, if, if you read that portion in verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He reaches back all the way to the Old Testament. To the beginning, to the time where God made the promise to Abraham and said, "You, through you, all the people on the face of the earth will be blessed. Do you know why he does that? He does that because God has a story by which he's redeeming the entire world. When God chose Abraham, he chose Abraham for a special reason. Do you know that Abraham's father was a moon worshipper. Have you ever heard that? They lived in Ur of the Chaldeans and they, they were not believers. But you know something in the life of Abraham, God called him because Abraham, if you read the life of Abraham, Abraham, and this is, I mean, I just learned this recently that Abraham was, if you look at what the choices that Abraham made, he was the kind of man who didn't put himself first. And look after his own interests first. And then everyone else must sort themselves out because I'm the most important person. Abraham cared for... Remember, just as an example, probably the most explicit example in the life of Abraham. When his herdsmen started arguing with those of Lot, what did Abraham do? Did Abraham look around and say, Lot, I'm taking this here, that's yours, there you go. No, he didn't do that. He says, now look. And choose where do you want to go. And Lot looked at the most fertile land. Do you see how Abraham didn't look out for his own interests first? 
time and time again, when we look at the people that God chose, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's a story that is happening. You mustn't miss this. These guys were not, these men, these, the, the, maybe, is that disrespectful? Uh, these fathers of the faith are not, they're not perfect people. David wasn't a perfect man, but we see that he was a man after God's own heart. And we must start to ask ourselves the question, why is that? It's because these people knew how to be with God and understand the heart of God. We mustn't miss this. I'm getting on to... Okay, I'm getting on to the end of my time. But, but we mustn't miss this part, people, because throughout Scripture, the story, the heart of God is displayed for us. And the heart of God is to always hear the cry of the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. And to do what? To respond in relationship, in redemption, in restoration. And as we journey through the book of Acts, let's look for the evidence of the story in the growth of the early church. Let's, let's have eyes to see the story being played out. Let's watch the believers learning to live for the kingdom and the reign of God for shalom in the midst of empire. What does that mean for us as Wellspring? It means that the word of God is challenging us that as we go and we go about our jobs, for which we praise God, we thank God for that. We are earning a living, we are providing for our families, that it doesn't stop there. The Word of God always comes very close and very personal. We cannot keep it like this. We cannot say that we are people of God and we live like the Word of God is here and my life is here. The Word of God needs to become part of who we are. The story of God says that we care about those who are vulnerable in society, in wellspring. This is the heart of God. You know, I was thinking about how, how can we demonstrate that even today? And so there was a time when, remember when we were meeting at the back here, in, in, when it was still summertime and the weather was much warmer than it is right now. And we used to do that great trick, right, of getting all, helping Tim carry all the, I hope we were helping Tim, otherwise that was a very hard job, but like taking and carrying all the equipment over there. And I saw something. I saw something as I was doing that trip, day in and day out. Well, day in and day out, not quite. Every Sunday. Was I doing it? We were doing it. Sunday in and Sunday out. I saw something. I saw that the place that we meet is a place of need. These young people who come here every day, day in and day out, these young people are on the margins of society. And I, I walked a little bit further down the passage and I saw their wheelchairs there with their names on it. And I thought, I just something just welled up inside of me. And I said, Lord, we are in such proximity to such great need. What is our response? Do we just pitch up here for church 
because this is just a space for us to meet and then we just go on our merry way. No. And what I want us to do now is something different. Peter and John stopped. They looked at this, this man. They acknowledged him. And they prayed for him in the power of the Spirit and the, and the miracle happened. Am I saying that people who are lame today, have you ever seen someone who is differently abled? Have you ever prayed for someone who is differently abled? Hands up if they were completely healed in that moment. Is it possible with God? Yes. Yes. But I don't think that's always God's God's intention or God's purpose. Because if we look at what the signs were there for, if we look at Acts chapter 2, it says, to accredit the ministry of Jesus Christ, to show that he was really the Son of God, the miracles and the signs were there. To accredit the apostles' teaching, the miracles and the signs were there. Why? Because there were so many people jumping up saying they're the Messiah. And so for people to believe there were miracles and there were signs. But does that mean as God's people that we stop praying for healing? No. Does that mean that we stop caring for those on the edges? Definitely not. And so what I want us to do right now, I want us to, to get up from our seats and walk down this passage. And not all of us can do that because it's a small area where the wheelchairs are. But I want, I want some of us to just remain in prayer here. Maybe we can stand up and just uh, line this room because I'm sure this is a meeting place of sorts for these young people. But I want some of us to go to those wheelchairs and just stretch out our hands and pray for those young people and pray for their families. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit of God resides where? Tell me. In us. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And so this is what God wants to do. God wants to work through us as his people. And I know we're going to take 10 minutes and then the worship team will call us back with a song. <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so I want maybe 10, 10 to 15 of us to make our way down that passage and pray for those young people and their families, who, those young people who are relegated to those wheelchairs. Please follow Jeremy. And the rest of us, I want us to be lining just around the edges of this space and pray. And we're just going to do this for 10 minutes and we're going to pray for the young people who gather here.